Blog Talk Radio. Websites in real time. 
but I thought that they said they weren't going to spy on us. Oh, this is the UK. It's completely different. No, it's not. They've got the same exact platform set up here, and it continues on and on. However, ministers do believe it is essential that police and security services have access to such communications data in order to tackle terrorism. Remember, all of this stuff is to keep you safe while violating you you know, on the back end for your civil liberties about privacy. So it's kind of like the analogy that I used before where if a rapist comes up to you and says, hey, I'm about to rape you, doesn't make it legal. It just They just announce it to you that, hey, we're going to do this. But the public's so so much in a trance they really don't they don't understand. So this uh, this gentleman um, Nick Pickles in in continuing in the article, who's the director of a Big Brother Watch group, said that this is an unprecedented step to what we will see the British adopt the same kind of surveillance seen in China and Iran. Oh yeah, and it's coming here. Just wait, Americans. They've probably are, they've got it in place since the Patriot Act, but they're going to let you know slowly. It's the slow rollout. It's like it always is. You know, and he continues to say this is an absolute attack on online privacy, and it is a far clear from this what is actually, you know, to improve public safety while adding significant costs to internet businesses. And then he goes on to say, if this was such a serious security issue, why is the Home Office not ensured that these powers were in place before the Olympics? And then what I did was some background research and pulled up some articles. This is an article back in 2005 that says that there are at least 500,000 uh, cameras in the city of London. And one study showed that in a single day, a person could expect to be filmed 300 times. And that was back in 2005. It's 2012. What does that mean? Oh, and then they have this whitewash article that came out in um, in March of 2011 – because they were talking about there was something like 3 million cameras out there. And then the Whitewash article comes out and says, oh, there are only 1.85 million cameras in the UK. So almost quadrupling the number in six years. Absolutely crazy. And it's all to fight terrorism. Remember the 777, 9-11, you name it. I mean, hopefully the people will start to wake up and – and just like I said before, you're going to have to take some inherent risk in living. We can't just live in this little bubble, this little plastic world where everybody – the government's going to protect you and everybody's going to be looking out for everybody. It's just not the way it works. It's kind of like the old adage, you know, you could be a marathon runner and, and die of a heart attack in the middle of a, a mid-run be in perfect shape and you'll probably get found by two guys smoking cigarettes. It's just going to happen. You know, you can't avoid some of this stuff and you're gonna have to take some risk on that's just that's just part of life. So continuing, um and I didn't even mean to set this up like this, but every article that I'm talking about is about surveillance. Because, you know, this stuff needs to be exposed and it needs to be talked about and you need to start talking to this stuff, you know, to your friends and, and your friends' friends and your family and, and who cares how they look at you? Because they're gonna say, Well, you know, you're just being you're just being paranoid, or I don't have anything to hide. That isn't the point. The point is they're violating your Fourth Amendment and and your right to just have any sort of privacy. So continuing, this is a Washington Post article that says, "From tracking Al Qaeda to tracking your wayward spouse." So now surveillance is oh, it's such a good thing, and they're always going to sell it to you as a good thing. And so this article actually talks about. The the Homeland Security, 
I guess it's a it's some kind of ex, expo where they bring out all these vendors and they show them all kinds of neat spy gadgets that are out there now. Where the the government probably just laughs at them and says, "Hey, we've been doing that for years." I've got a friend of mine that's father was in um was in the military. He was actually in the Air Force and he was high level as far as clearance goes, top secret clearance, and he was in a he was flying in a surveillance plane at 60,000 he said it was at 50 excuse me 50,000 feet back in the 60s and they could read license plates off of cars so that lets you know where surveillance was back then i mean that's some crazy stuff if you think about it but you know what they just let us know what the what the little trinkets are that they can sell to the public whereas the big boys get to have all the fun gadgets and get to you know listen to all of our communications and send us through supercomputers and digest the data and find out what's relevant and what's not. So back to the article, it says that this in this one convenient package, what became a homeland security effort, what began as a well in, um, a well-intentioned campaign to harden targets and protect the nation from terrorists, has metastasized into a sprawling and diffuse enterprise. That has little to do with terrorists and a lot to do with government and employees spying on citizenry and citizens spying on each other. And basically what it talks about at the very beginning of the article is they have these little gadgets that you can hide in your seat or you can hide in a person's clothes. One of them's like the size of an envelope and the other one looks like a um, an electric razor. And you can just kind of throw that in whoever's car that you want to track and bada bing, bada boom. You know where they are at all times and that's how these people are busting their spouses cheating on them. So that's always good. And so continuing in the article, so it says um, – it says government agencies and corporations, for example, are buying the Pocket Hound, which is a cell phone detector, which can indicate who is carrying a mobile phone among the suggested users in its quote-unquote schools and airports. The competitor, Cellbusters, can locate where a cell phone is inside a building or whether someone in your conference room is violating the company's no-cell phone policy. Remember, it's it's always going to be spun as this thing that's going to be – you know, used for the greater good, <laughs> and it's always a double-edged sword. And if you haven't figured that out yet, then you, um, you probably need to get with the program because this is all two-way, you know, back doors and, and mechanisms to not only for you to get the information but to collect all this data and send it to a huge data center, which I'll get into here in a second. So – it continues, and, and um, one of the one of the vendors is asked, "You catch many terrorists with this technology?" And the the cellbusters guy, Derek, the uh, Derek, I'm going to butcher his last name, I guess, Forday, says, um, "No, not so much." Yeah, there's, it's not really for terrorists, guys. It's for you. I mean, it's to find out what you're doing, and we got to run you through this database, and we got to see, you know, what your, um, you know. What's your psychiatric makeup is? Are you going to be a troublemaker? Are you going to do this? Are you going to do that? It's all this pre-crime crap that they're probably going to come out with here in the future. You thought about committing a crime, so we're going to arrest you. 1984 is definitely upon us. So continuing, um, <clears throat> and this gets right into the data center I was talking about. And this is an uh, article from the uh, Business News Insider. And it says, even Congress wants to know what the NSA is doing 
with a $2 billion Utah spy center. Well, what do you think that they're doing, guys? They're out there fighting Al-Qaeda. They're getting the bad guys. No, they're probably reading our emails and listening to us you know, through warrantless wiretaps like they've been doing since 9-11. So just to quote some of the... Uh, the sections of the article. It says, maybe you've heard of it, maybe you haven't, but in Bluffdale, uh, Utah, alongside one of the largest sects in America, the NSA is building a one million square foot data center, five times the size of the U.S. Capitol. That is huge. Now, despite immense secrecy and constitution uh, and construction workers on, with quote top secret clearance, the news project the project has made news through um, through a wire through Wired magazine last month. An intelligence authority, James Bamford, wrote that the center was part of President Bush's total information awareness, aka total grab your information and throw it into a huge database so we can spy on you program. That was killed in Congress in 2003 in response to public outrage that it's potential for invading Americans' privacy. Well, nobody's got any problems with that now. You got Dancing with the Stars and you know Xbox 360 and all kinds of stuff to occupy your time. Who cares if the government's spying on you and collecting all your data and putting you in this big database? And so one of the one senior intelligence official formerly involved in the project told Bamford, "This is more than just a data center." It's a code-breaking megapolis, the likes of which we have the world has never seen. And the official concluded that everybody's a target. Everybody with communication is a target. So I guess in order for me to have my free speech and in order for me to have my Fourth Amendment back, I'm going to have to go back to sending smoke signals to my friends. Because I'm not going to send somebody a letter in the mail because they'll probably read that. So we might just have to go back to old-fashioned smoke signals or you know, maybe Morse code. I don't know. It just gets even crazier. So General Keith Alexander, who was called in front of Congress, stated the NSA does not have the ability to do this to the United States. Uh, Alexander told Georgia, Repo or Georgia Republican Hank Johnson, nor are we authorized to do that, nor will we have any equipment in the United States to collect that kind of information. Oh, really? So you don't have this capability to get this stuff, but meanwhile, the the director of the CIA came out last week and said that everything's spying on you. It's free reign. Your TV spy on you, toaster, doorbell, you name it. But we don't have a method to do this. It's kind of like you know they were throwing the babies out of incubators, WMDs. I mean, when are we going to stop listening to these guys? I mean, you get a guy up there in a suit that just tells you, hey, we're not doing it, and you believe him? No, nah, we're not doing it, but maybe we are. And then two years down, I guarantee you, two years down the line, everybody's going to think I'm crazy. And then two years down the line, they're going to come out and say, well, we were, you know, listening to you, but it's for Al Qaeda. We got to stop the terrorists. So, continuing, you, uh, the NSA public information officer backed up Alexander in an email saying that would be a state of the art facility designed to support the intelligence community's efforts to further strengthen and protect the nation. Once again, it's the almighty Trump card of we are going to keep you safe. Just like the TSA is going to keep you safe and then when you bitch at them, they're going to throw hot coffee in your face for for them cussing in front of a kid. Guy just walks up and says, "Hey, you, you there's two TSA agents and I I'll post it on my site." But there's two TSA agents bickering with each other, calling each other the N-word and using obscenities, 
And the guy just politely says, hey, you know, you guys might want to watch your language. And the woman gets up in his face and, and pushes him and then throws a cup of coffee in his face. I mean, come on. Those are the people keeping us safe from Al-Qaeda? That's them. The $8 an hour blue shirt, you know, brown shirt wearing TSA agents. That's our la- that's our front line of defense. Wow. I'm excited. So continuing on with the surveillance grid, uh, this is an article out of the London – or out of the Guardian, excuse me. And it talks about nuclear-powered drones, about how the U.S. is toying with the option of having nuclear-powered drones. And the scientists have drawn up plans – and this is from the article – for a new generation of nuclear-powered drones capable of flying over remote regions of the world for months on end without refueling. That's awesome. What happens if they get shot down or blown up? Then you got nuclear radiation splattering everywhere? Nope, don't don't need to worry about that. We could just throw these up in the air and they'll all fly around for months, just like the surveillance blimps that they got out there. And if you don't believe me on the surveillance blimps, either go to YouTube and do – surveillance blimp or just go to Google or whatever search engine you use and do um, FEMA surveillance blimp or what have you. You'll get tons of articles and you'll see tons of video footage of them. It's absolutely astonishing. So now let's get into the topic of the show. And and where is this nation going? Well, this nation is slowly – I mean you know our president. He's all for Obamacare. You know What really is Obamacare? And I'm going to get into that in a minute. But – what you're seeing now is a culmination of what's happened in the background of the United States for many, many years, and it is the transition from a free republic – once again, a republic, you have a trial by jury. It's not a democracy where everybody gets a vote, and if 51 percent decide to kill the 49 percent, then the 49 percent go bye-bye. It's not that. So what you're seeing is a transition from the republic that we know into this collective fascism, eco-friendly, almost on the borderline of eco-fascism. So what does that all mean? What is eco-fascism? Well, my father actually sent me a great article the other day, and I was just taking some excerpts, and it was talking about Breitbart and, and what his you know what his focus was. And it talked about in the article the Frankfurt School, and what the Frankfurt School, their central theme was to tear down society, was preconditioning the eventual goal was global Marxism. That capitalism had rendered man weak, which in turn explained why socialism had not come into existence already. Now this can be backed up by a multitude of sources that we've had conditioning from the time – if you're around my age, if you're in your 30s, from the time that you started school, you were being conditioned for something. But what were you being conditioned for? Anytime you have government involved in education, that really does that really does support not only Marxism, but it supports communism. If you look at the Communist Manifesto, they want a central bank. They need to be in control of education. They need to be in control of all these other financial, regulatory, all these different agencies. And we're slowly seeing that now. And it's it's kind of scary if you're if you're paying attention. You're like, wait a minute, I'm losing the republic here. You know, they're talking about, and I'll post this up later. This is absolutely astonishing. They're talking about over in I believe it was Arizona, but don't quote me if if I'm wrong. But they're talking about censoring any internet comments that could be, 
that could be harsh, crude, or contain profanity. I understand about the profanity. Monitor your website, what have you. But when you start taking away people's free speech, even if you don't like what they have to say, that's their opinion. They get that. They get that under Article 1, Section 1, free speech. You get to say whatever you want, and you're not infringing on anybody else, and you're not threatening anybody else, and you have the right to say whatever you want. And as soon as you start limiting that, now you're opening a whole can of worms, and it's going to just – I mean it would come out like gangbusters if this thing gets through, and these people start really doing this and censoring people. And they'll start out with the web because the web's very impersonable. The web is not me going out and publicly protesting somebody and bullhorning somebody and then somebody coming out and getting in my face and arresting me for going out and bullhorning somebody or protesting against something. So once again, the web is very impersonal, so if they can just start picking and plucking things off the web, then it doesn't seem that bad. And then it eventually will it eventually will metastasize into this all-encompassing thing. Well, you said something that hurt my feelings. I'm going to have you arrested. And, and I mean that's the extreme, but I mean that's where you could go. So continuing on to the the, the um, topic at hand and, and the transition from the republic into a, a socialist, almost socialist slash democratic society that we're in now and eventually moving towards global Marxism or global government or global collectivism, whatever you want to call it. I like to call it the New World Order because that's what it is. It's it's a group of collectivists going out and trying to overthrow regimes and putting in the collectivist model where they can then f sit upon all the countries of the world and dictate what food you eat, where the food comes from, what you get to buy, what you don't get to buy. And so you have the elite at the top pressing down upon the people of non-privilege like you and, and myself. Now, in the article it says – you know, one of the the main goals is the first. There's there's three main goals. First, is that you need to teach and reject the social norms. You need to attack Christianity and the traditional family, and you need to have assigned readings of Karl Marx, and that's what they're going to push. So, I do have a clip here, and this clip is from Charlotte Iserby. Now, you might not know who Charlotte Iserby is, but Charlotte Iserby was the was the senior policy advisor in the in the Office of Education Research and, and Improvement for the US Department of Education under Ronald Reagan. And let's hear what she talks about and I've got two clips for you. I'm going to break them up. Play the first clip. It's almost 3 minutes long. I'm going to give my take and then give the next clip. The original program was uh, funded by my what, be, what would subsequently become my office. It was funded by the Office of Research in the U.S. Office of Education because it was funded early on, about the late 60s. Still funded, by the way. And uh, the money went to the University of Michigan in Ann Arbor to a professor by the name of Ronald Havelock. And he was the one that uh, put together the whole training, the whole seminar, the book. And in the back of the book, you had, they admitted it. Right in the back of the book, they had about 100 major change agents listed from all over the country. Some of them I recognize, some I still don't, but some I do. 
And so this was a very important project. And uh, it was being, you know, it was being carried out in our, I'm sure, all over the country, not just where I was. This was in Searsport, Maine, this lovely little town on the coast of Maine, in the school there where they were, where the, the guy came in, the facilitator, not Mr. Havelock, not Professor Havelock, but a facilitator, uh, to train us. And these were good people that were there. You know, they were some of the teachers from my school, where I was on the local school board, principals, etc. Normal looking Americans. Uh, you know, you really ask yourself, they must themselves have reacted very much the way I did. That's why I've always had uh, a lot of um, understanding for teachers that have to go through this stuff. I didn't have to continue going through it. They've had to, through the years, constant training, retraining, sensitivity training, break their values. Right, no right, no wrong. You've got to have all, all religions represented, so, you know, tolerant of everything, and because that's the new world order. Disorder, excuse me. Professor Benjamin Bloom is probably the most important behavioral psychologist ever to live. I mean, maybe not quite as much as Pavlov and Skinner, but he really implemented the system in education in the United States. And uh, he was the, the um, author of uh, The Taxonomy of Educational Objectives. And I know that doesn't mean much to us. It means a lot to teachers. They know. All teachers have to go through that. Bloom's Taxonomy. And... Uh, just to give you an idea of how blatant they are, uh, Benjamin Bloom uh, said the purpose of education, and I often say this to parents, really, listen to this. You think the purpose of education is reading, writing, and arithmetic? The purpose of education is to change the thoughts, actions, and feelings of students. Oh, yeah. So all of that stuff that you were taught growing up about how we need to be nice to one another and we need to share and all that stuff, those are great core values. But what's the underlying driver behind it is that you know, we've had a fascist takeover in this country, and it was by stealth. And, and what the fascists learned is that you can't go around machine gunning people like Adolf Hitler because – People just aren't going to buy that. The propaganda and the exposure and the and the information is too much, you know, at people's fingertips. Even back then, with with um with local news and television and and, and radio and what have you. So what they've realized is that you got to come in via stealth. You got to infiltrate these areas of government and slowly teach the population that this is the new model. That this is what we're going to do. And it gets really, really – I mean the interview is actually on my website. The entire one is probably an hour long. If you're a teacher, if you're an educator, if you've been in education, please watch it because it will absolutely make your head hurt. And then all the little gaps that you had maybe where you were wondering, why aren't we teaching this? Why aren't we doing it this way? It might get filled in for you. So I do have another clip, and this is talking about the community, and it's talking about – the collective group, and, and this really does encapsulate everything, and I think that this will be a great wrap-up piece for us. To bring about change, they put them through role-playing, psychodrama, all these psychological techniques where they play the part of starving children and the, and the other one plays the part of a very wealthy industrialist child. And you know They bring about the attitude and value change through the emotions, you know how young people are. You know they they're naturally very altruistic and they want to help. And 
They don't like to see poverty around the world. And so what they'll do is, just like I think I mentioned you earlier, or I don't know whether I did, uh, going into our the teacher putting in the new social studies program in our community and walking through, having taking little tots through town and identifying big, rich people's houses and small, poor people's houses. Uh, that's a perfect example of what I'm talking about. Uh, getting them young and making them feel sorry for the people who live in the trailer across from the captain's house because they only eat hot dogs, not steak. And then they'll do the same thing with uh, Ethiopia or wherever, some third world country showing them the children dying. And then, and then they'll show pictures of our, our uh, affluence. And what do you eat for breakfast? Oh, you have eggs and bacon and cereal and orange juice and grapefruit and everything. Yum, yum, yum. Do you really think it's fair? Common unity. That's what we call it. Common unity. There's no role for the individual in the community. And for everything that goes on in the Soviet Union, or communism is based on the community, the commune. So that's it in a nutshell. And uh, like I said, if you want to watch the entire interview, go to my website, wearenotcattle.net. It's actually under the video posts underneath the education tab. And um, thanks, everybody, for listening. Sorry I almost ran out of time here. We're up against it, though. But, um, you know, start paying attention, start spreading the word about the broadcast, start spreading the word about liberty, start spreading the word about individualism and the infringement on our Fourth Amendment and our First Amendment, which is free speech. Remember, get a friend, get informed, and get involved, everybody. Thanks for listening.